Morning, church. I guess every time I get up to share with you, you probably expect something along the lines of a prophetic preach, and uh, because that's who I am. Um, but I'm going to chuck in a bit of teaching today. That's good, isn't it? But I still will be true to my true self. And there will be a very prophetic edge to what I've got to share this morning. Uh, Palm Sunday is often lost in Easter week. It's often played down and passes by and we see it as a nice story of a donkey and Jesus riding on it and people waving branches and he goes to the temple and he turns the tables over and that kind of gets lost in the enormity of Good Friday and Easter Sunday but I believe that actually Palm Sunday is a prerequisite to what happens over Easter it's a prerequisite of what Jesus had in mind for his church and for the gospel of the kingdom to preach across the whole world, Jews and Gentiles and everybody. And so it's, it's got a prophetic edge to it. And uh, we've got a special young lady who's going to read the scriptures to us today, Afia. And if you want to follow, it's... Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Hello, everyone. Today I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find the donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. <clears throat> they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. Thank you. That's great. Notice there, there's no palm trees. Just branches. It's only in John's Gospel you will read about palm trees. So just an aside, a teaching aside, 
just to get you appetites going. Um, this was, as we've already said, foretold by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9, verse 9, where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king is coming to you. He is uh, just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So here's the picture. There's Jesus has acquired a donkey, a colt, and he rides into Jerusalem. I want you to try and imagine the picture here. Um, there was a very large multitude, we read in the book there. The very large multitude who spread their clothes and trees, branches on the road um, before him. A large crowd gathered. In fact, it was estimated at Passover there would be two and a half million people in Jerusalem. And here was Jesus going into the center of a cauldron of activity on this very, very special um, festival. That was not the only reason. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead Word about his many miracles were spreading like wildfire amongst the people. Many common people increasingly expectant that Jesus may be the coming Messiah. And so amongst the common people there, were, there was a, an excitement, a kind of expectancy and they gathered to see this prophet come to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that in a minute. But there are others there who weren't so keen to see Jesus. There were three other groups. The Romans were afraid of an uprising. Every time there was a big festival, they were fearful of some uprising in Jerusalem. The Herodians, the ruling party under King Herod, were afraid of losing power because if there had been a riot, the Romans would have taken back power from Herod. And then there were the Pharisees, full of anger, full of envy, and full of malice. They hated Jesus and what he was doing. Let's go back to what the common people were beginning to expect from Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. People remembered from Scripture that there had been 
an historical event when the Maccabean army came and set Jerusalem free in 175 BC. They had cleansed the temple also at that time. And so they would have remembered that on that occasion, the king who conquered Jerusalem again came riding on a donkey and branches were put out before them. So there was an historical, a kind of beginning to all of this that we're speaking about. As Paul's already said this morning, the word Hosanna means save us now. <clears throat> we think that as salvation being our sins being forgiven and our relationship coming back to God. But they were thinking, save us from the Romans. They wanted freedom from captivity. So they had a whole different expectation of what was happening here. They were confused, in a way, because the lines are being crossed here. Jesus' purpose was totally different. He was coming to introduce the kingdom of God, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom where healing and deliverance took place and people were free to worship and praise God. They weren't expecting that at all. They were expecting a revolution. And they were looking to Jesus to bring that revolution. And so they were barking up the wrong tree. The large crowd, their growing ex ex expectancy about Jesus being the coming king who would set them free from Romans. These growing expectations of a warring king were shattered when Jesus declared himself as a servant king by dying on the cross. And just a few days later, instead of shouting, Hosanna, they were shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. There's so much more in Palm Sunday than we can first see. Okay, now let's move to the temple. Okay, Jesus arrived in the temple. Now, in Matthew's account, it goes straight into the turning over of the money table. But it's interesting, in Mark 11, verse 11, it gives another account of the same period. And we read in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Mark, 
Mark 11, and verse 11. And Jesus went into the temple, into Jerusalem, and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all the things, as the hour was already late, he went up to Bethany with the twelve. And then it brings in the story of the fig tree. And... Um, this kind of makes more sense to me. It was late at night. Jesus had seen what was going on in the temple. He was obviously greatly moved in his spirit by all that was going on. So what does he do? He goes to Bethany. He goes back to Bethany and spends the overnight there before returning to the temple the next day. Jesus spends precious time in that last week of his life with his greatest friends. He meets with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and he has his disciples around him. And I believe he needed that overnight stop just to get his spirit in the right place for the purpose of the next day. He wanted to calm down his blatant anger, although it came out, but in a much subdued way, I would say. And he had opportunity to be and have fellowship with precious people. To receive love before he entered days of being whipped and then finally crucified. So that kind of makes sense to me. And um, so let's rejoin him as he goes back to the temple in <clears throat> the next day. He comes back to the temple with the prophetic message, I believe, of the kingdom on his heart. A kingdom of love, a kingdom of affecting attitudes, values, behaviour, in a radical way. In a few weeks, this kingdom concept was birthed in the church and then was to be the conduit of the message of the kingdom as the apostles spread the good news throughout the empire. Jesus saw the Father's house being turned into a commercial market full of robbers and thieves. And I believe his heart broke because he knew what it should be used for. And that's when we see the action taking place, which is 
is at the center of what is happening here. I think it was just as well we had the overnight stay at Bethany, time to think through his strategy and clear his thoughts. The word for temple is naos, and the temple consisted of five courts, each separated by a high wall. And the whole temple complex covered a vast amount of ground. At the center was the Holy of Holies, which was the smallest part of the temple. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. The chief priests once a year entered to make sacrifice for sin. The rest of the temple were the large courts that went out from the Holy of Holies. First of all, there was the temple or the courts of the priests. This was the court where only the priests could go to receive people's sacrifices for sin. Um, it contained the great altar, the table of showbreads, the altar of incense, the lampstand, and the brazen altar. Only the priests could go into that particular court to do their duty in sacrifice. The second was the court of the Gentiles. Any male Jew could enter the court of the Israelites it was a place of prayer where people brought their sacrifices to the priests. Jewish women actually were also granted entry there to bring sacrifices and to attend worship services on feast days. But essentially it was for the men, the Jewish men. Then there was the court of the women for any Israelite woman who wanted to come to pray, to have fellowship, they could have their own separate part of the temple complex. And then we reach the place where all this action takes place, the court of the Gentiles, the court that was the furthest away from the Holy of Holies because that's where those Gentiles went and uh, anyone who was seeking God, anyone who wanted to find out more about God. So it didn't really matter if the whole place was a market because the Gentiles weren't important. They could go to one corner and try and find God. The main purpose was the market. And that's what got Jesus so, so angry. The court of the Gentiles was for 
Jewish Gentile converts or anyone inquiring or seeking God. It was supposed to be a place of contemplation, meditation. But this is where the commercial market made it impossible to worship. According to Isaiah 56, 7, this should have been part of the house of prayer for the nations. It says, even then I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for the nations. So Jesus was making a prophetic statement that my temple should be a place of worship. My temple should be a place of prayer. In one sense, he was looking backwards to the tabernacle of David, which had no courts and no barriers. It was free. In a way, he was looking forward to the church and all that was to come. He was looking forward to us, enjoying freedom as we've enjoyed this morning. What a tremendous thing. Now we see an indignant Jesus upturn the tables of the money changers, throw them and the sellers of pigeons out. Why were they there? Everyone entering the temple had to pay a specially minted temple tax coinage. They changed it with the money changers who charged an exorbitant interest rate, which amount to three times a person's wage. That was racket number one. Racket number two was run by the sellers of pigeons or doves, which was the cheapest form of sacrifice. So it was a sacrifice most people could afford to make. And yet, the doves had to be without fault or blemish. And the priests appointed special inspectors to make sure they were free from blemish. Now, outside, you could buy perfectly blemish-free doves for 4p. And you could bring them into the temple, but you'd be stopped by one of these inspectors. And he would find something. And that 4p would then cost you 75p. That was racket number two. Worse still... Many of them were related to the priests. Even Ananias, the head priest. So there was a right old racket going on in the temple. And this is what Jesus came on Palm Sunday to give us a picture of what it should be like. 
and he threw the lot of them out in one go. I would have loved to have been there. Amen. In the Palm, uh, Palm Sunday procession today in Winchester, I wonder whether after the, the uh, riding on the donkey, they will stop at the market and upturn all the tables. That would be good, wouldn't it? Perhaps we should suggest that <laughs> next time. Because we can get involved. We can use the house of God just as they did for wrong functions. This is a house of prayer and a house of worship. A house where the family of God gathers together. A house where freedom is found. A safe place. A place where the gospel is preached. And mighty miracles take place. Hallelujah. What a contrast we see. What a contrast we see. So, what about this significant prophetic act that we see here? Let's go back to Matthew 21. Let's go back to Matthew 21 and take up the story again. See, what was happening here was that for one day, for one day since David's kingdom, the temple was returned to its original purpose by Jesus for one day. He was reverting back to what it should have been. And it was a prophetic glimpse to anyone who understood what was going on. It was prophesied by Amos 9.11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damage. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild its ashes. We have a glimpse here of the kingdom of God. See, David's tabernacle lasted for 30 years under David's rule. The nation was at peace. The nation was prosperous. The nation was turned back to God. There were 24-7 times of worship and prayer and thanksgiving in the house of God. We have trouble getting here once a week, don't we, sometimes? Fancy 24-7? Without stop. 30 years without break. 
That was the tabernacle of David in that day, in those days. This was the prophetic demonstration a few days before the death of Jesus. He was giving us a preview of what life should be like in the kingdom of God. Look what happens when you cleanse God's temple. Go back to verse 12 of Matthew 21. Sorry, verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. He healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. That's why I wanted the young people to stay in today. This bit is especially for you. You are part of this family. And we want to encourage you to participate in this family. We want to encourage you to pray for the sick. We want to encourage you to be in the centre when God moves by his spirit. See, so what, ha what often happens in church, even now, is when the spirit begins to move, we hide the kids off. Because we don't want them disturbing our nice, ordered worship service so we plonk them somewhere else beloved we've missed so much of the heart of God in this whenever the spirit of God is moving whenever we start praying for the sick down the front someone please go up to the children's church and bring them down because they should be praying just as much as we are. I tell you what, they can pray in simple faith. And you will see miracles. I've seen it many times. So this is the prophetic message then. After cleansing the temple, the presence of God comes in miracle-working power. We will never see the presence of God in church, in church, if there's sin in the house. Be careful how you come here each Sunday. Wrong attitudes, unforgiveness, any other motive than worship, then the anointing will stop and the presence will not be here.
That's a hard word, I know. But it's true. Prepare yourselves for worship. Make sure there's nothing between you and God. And then we can expect the presence of God to come. And we can expect the signs and the wonders. Note the children were involved in the presence, worship, and praying for the sick. I've made that point already. The kingdom was being prophesied by Jesus. Just after the birth of the church, James stands up after hearing all that Peter and Paul were sharing about the Gentiles coming to Christ. He quotes from Amos 9.11. He says, after this, I will rebuild and behold and rebuild the tabernacle of David. God wants us back to his original purpose. Presence, worship, signs and wonders, freedom, forgiveness, unity, love. But it doesn't end there. The church is to be a house of prayer where Christians are built up in their faith receive teaching and the power of the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and share the gospel of the kingdom. See, the presence and the release of freedom amongst you is for one purpose and one purpose only, to preach the gospel of the kingdom on the streets, to change your community, to change your town, it's no good us staying in here. It's not going to happen here. Revival's not going to happen here. Harvest is not going to happen here. It's going to happen out there. On the streets of Stanmore. And we've got to get tuned into it. And we've got to be praying for it. In a wonderful way. See, this is a new radical way of living with new values based on love, forgiveness, acceptance, Holy Spirit power with signs and wonders and healings resulting in a harvest of believers who live a life of holiness and obedience to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Amen? Have I changed your thinking about it today? I hope I have. There's more to it than perhaps we think. And I just want to testify right now that you've just seen a miracle. Leslie, can I read without my glasses? No. Do you see any glasses on my face? No. 
I arrived in church this morning without my glasses. And I said, Lord, shall I go home and get them? And he said, no. Just do it. So I've just done it.